You're listening to Bloom in Tech with David Bloom. This podcast sponsored by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Bloom in Tech, where we pick through the rubble of entertainment, media, and technology and find a few golden nuggets of wisdom to share. I'm your host, David Bloom, and I'm so glad that once again you have chosen to hop on the knowledge train with me. This week, I hosted a panel yet again at the Digital Hollywood Conference, the twice-a-year reunion of folks in the digital entertainment universe and much else. My panel focused on influencers and the realities, challenges, and future of their business, and I have to say the people on my panel really rocked it. You can see a video of that panel from day one on YouTube. I'll put up a link to it for those in the influence space who might be interested. I thoroughly recommend it. They really knocked it out of the park. But what got me going after my own panel finished was one elsewhere in the Skirball Cultural Center, featuring several smart, creative women talking about what they're trying to make happen in various corners of digital media, including the producer, director, actress, Tana Frederick, whom I interviewed on the same stage where I did my own panel at at Digital Hollywood three years ago about a virtual reality project that she finished back then with director Randall Kleiser called Defrosted. Kleiser, you may recall, is the guy who directed Grease and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Blue Lagoon and a bunch of other stuff, but he created Defrosted built on a project that he had written, a short film that he had written back 40 years ago at USC when he was still a student. The 12-part episodic result was recently picked up in China for distribution there, and it was good to check in with Tana about what's happening with that and much else. But another of the panelists with Tana was a woman I've known about for years, the Italian astrophysicist Fiorella Terenzi. Dr. Terenzi has taught at universities in the Miami area for years, but she's perhaps best known for her distinctive cross-disciplinary projects going back more than three decades, beginning with a project to create music out of the radio waves created by interstellar objects such as distant galaxies and pulsars. She's also done high-profile creative collaborations with Dr. Timothy Leary and fashion designer Amanda Gilda Zenya. These days, Dr. Terenzi is teaching a class at both Florida International University and at California State University Channel Islands near her second home in Los Angeles. The class, called Let's Get Astrophysical, combines traditional astronomy with creative components such as music, art, and dance, so the students can make their own space opera. Along the way, Terenzi teaches the students about creating business plans and being entrepreneurial and even some internet etiquette. I took advantage of a chance to sit down with Dr. Terenzi after her panel, and the following conversation was the result. I love that she's trying to create educational experiences that appeal to both sides of our brains and that can engage students who otherwise are juggling a thousand distractions and, I have to say, not always juggling them well. Terenze also talked about her current virtual reality project in development, an astronomical experience involving all five senses. Did you know that Mars smells like gunpowder? She was really great fun to talk with. We'll get to our conversation in a minute, but first let's hear from our sponsor and then we'll be right back. Here's my conversation with the astrophysicist and musician, among much else, Dr. Fiorella Terenzi, recorded this week at the Skirball Cultural Center during Digital Hollywood. 
I'm here with Fiorella Terenzi, Dr. Fiorella Terenzi, uh, of Italian birth but American embrace. And she is a astrophysicist at uh, Florida International University, but also has a, a place here in Los Angeles and uh, teaches most recently at Cal State Channel Islands. And more than anything, merges astrophysics and hard science, hard, hard science with arts and music and beyond, the music of the spheres in the most practical and applied way. Doctor, tell me a little bit about what you're working on now. At the present time, I'm taking a concept like physics and astronomy, and I'm renaming them. So think about you're going to decide to take, let's get astrophysical with me. Yes, you're going to learn, I guarantee you, all about the solar system and the galaxies and cosmology. But how are you going to learn that? Well, in Let's Get Astrophysical is uh, the first uh, fusion of uh, performance art, creative design, music, storytelling with traditional science education. So students are tired to sit down and to take notes. Our students today, they're used to a very fast-moving environment. So instead of seeing the tweet, the Instagram as a negativity, I see it as a plus, and I'm using that to take advantage. The way I'm teaching today really embraces the modern student. For example, in Let's Get Astrophysical, we are writing a space opera. So this isn't uh, Tommy, it's uh, something else, it's not Hulse the Planets, it's something new. I do like Tommy, though. I like the Tommy of astrophysics. So, for example... You're the acid queen, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. I'm I'm the queen of something. (laughs) Queen of something. Not because of choice, because my students cast me in that role. And they could not take it anymore, having in front of them a scientist that doesn't dance and play music. So, literally, in the show we did, they strip away the lab coat from me. They bring bring me my keyboard, they want me to play the sound space, they want me to dance together with them. So really, they reshape me, how they see maybe the next phase of teaching, the next professor. This is great. I mean, Richard Feynman famously was both a fan of tube and throat singing and played the bongos and was, was somebody, not only one of the greatest physicists of the 20th century, but a great musical appreciator and and the cultures of music far beyond even what we often found in the United States. You're trying to do this and for the students of now, I guess. Well, if you look back, honestly, at the division between science and music, art and astronomy, or in general, science and art, it's really man-created. We created it somehow, somewhere, I'm not sure why it was needed. Actually, I do remember why it was needed, but I don't understand why still today this division is mandatory. Because look at Albert Einstein playing violin being relativity. Look at Leonardo da Vinci, engineer, flight, helicopter, painting, and musician. Military technology, uh, how to build dams, all kinds of things. 
Correct. Remarkable. And you know, see, the scientists uh, um, were philosopher. We were astronomer. We were also careful to this word, astrologer. We were doing astrology chart. Then uh, somehow, you know, we started to be anchored on the data, on the density, on the luminosity, and uh, somehow the analytical mind detached from this intuitive mind. We split the spheres of the mind Correct. from the spheres of the planets, I suppose. Correct. We, we, we detached from the music of the sphere and uh, from the music of our heart. So now the scientist, uh, it's a really a Martian scientist to me because uh, it doesn't matter how much I try, I'm not a Martian scientist. These Martian scientists are still possessing data. They tend not to share the data. They tend to consider this uh, celestial object as their own property, like possessing celestial object is uh, possible. But yes, they possess a knowledge about that. So these are all property I see in the Martian scientist mind. Because when it comes down to the Venus scientist, we don't have a problem sharing data. We don't possess anything. We don't dominate any celestial object. We are more also prone in finding poetic lesson in the lens of our microscope or like me, looking up to the star and finding music, finding a beat. You got your start in mixing music, literally music. You talked uh, and at one point in your panel about Chris Blackwell, founder, the iconic founder of Island Records, discovering you as a young PhD student, or I guess postdoc at that point, you'd had your doctorate, but also creating music out of the radio waves that you had detected and the frequencies that were there. I mean, talk, talk about yep. that project. That's where you first sort of broke through in an unusual way for an astrophysicist, I guess. Yeah, that, that's right. It was a very long time ago. Actually, it was in 1987, to be precise. And I was working with radio waves from space using radio telescope. And I felt that just looking at radio waves, looking at the waveform, wasn't enough for me. Because uh, after all, these radio waves uh, have an electromagnetic field. Our radio waves uh, you broadcast on the radio, FM, AM type of uh, frequencies. So they already had an intrinsic radio waves uh, music acoustic domain, but how do you turn radio waves from distant galaxy into sound and music? So back then, for the very first time, we had computer music. We had sound synthesis language. And so that was the key. For me, it was to unite radio computer, music astronomy, all in one word. So there were synthesizers using frequency modulation kinds of technologies, and you were taking those frequencies and overlaying them into the synthesizers who were doing something with you could actually hear, because in space, no one, as the Alien movie said, no one can hear you scream, but there are those radio waves. They are carrying something. I mean, we recorded, what did we record uh, a year ago? Finally, we proved that 100-year-old Einsteinian theory of hearing 
Gosh, I'm, fl- I'm blanking uh, out. The cosmic background. The cosmic was background. it a cosmic background? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Going back to, to, to what you were saying, yeah, that, that's correct. We used the radio waves and we fed it through a sound synthesis language, which basically a synthesizer in an algorithm, in a piece of software. And sure enough, out of that, you get the sound. It started as a radio computer music astronomy, and then I chopped it down to acoustic astronomy. Indeed, many more experiments the one you mentioned for the cosmic background radiation was another audiofication of celestial data after my sonification, audification of 1987. We have also the sun now by Stanford University in sound and music. We have um, a neutron star, we have a supernova turning to sound, we have planets, we have also pulsar, of course, pulsars, they sound like cosmic drummer. If you go on my research website, call it Acoustic Astronomy, you will have this FM modulation where you can tune onto these millions and billions of hertz and you can listen all the celestial objects that as of today, have been turned into sound. There's a pulsar, which is a, it's flashing on and off, essentially a strong wave of neutrons, right? I mean, does it have a beat you can dance to? Oh, yeah. Uh, pulsars are, like you said, you know, like a lighthouse. You have this intense beam of radiation coming toward the Earth, and you detect a beat. And some pulsars, you know, they spin maybe 10 times per second, and so that's very fast uh, cosmic drummer to keep up. That is cool. That's very fast. Not to talk about those that are milli, a thousand of times per second. Those are ultra fast, super fast pulsar. But my favorite are like, you know, the Vela pulsar or the Crab pulsar. Those are kind of very easy to keep up. You know, maybe they, it's like, you know, three pulses, uh, one pulses every three seconds, so much easier to play with. Okay, so that's 60 beats a minute. So yeah. That's, and that's pretty low key. That's pretty easy going. Yeah, that's a slow dance too. Yeah, that's, your pul- that's your pulse. <laughs> that's your I, pulse. Not a pulsar, a pulse. Yeah, it's star. a pulse of your heartbeat. <laughs> so that's, that's good. So you're trying to bring the, the other side of the brain into education. And I guess the concern is that that students today aren't going to hear the traditional pedagogical approach, that very top-down kind of thing. I mean, I'm presuming that's what's going on here. How are the kids reacting to getting astrophysical? They love Let's Get Astrophysical because finally they can express their energy. They can find what they like in life. They can bring to class elements they are really interested to. It can be video game, it can be fashion, it can be something they build, up props, it can be a t-shirt. Anything they have interest goes into Let's Get Astrophysical. Basically, we are really taking... uh, the creativity of a student and put it into a scientific context of physics and astronomy. We dance in the body we have, and we dance to the tempo of pulsars in the body. None of us is a dancer, but yet, when we do choreography, we try to represent the dynamical motion of this celestial object. So the whole class, let's get astrophysical, is really science, astronomy, and physics, but the most important things are students. 
Student is a way for them to find who they are, what they like. Because a lot of a young brain, they want to be actor, they want to be biologist, they want to be oceanographer, but they want to be a dancer. So why not to experiment with both? Why not to set this imagination free in a student? We all have to gain by listening to them and let them express. Then instead of repressing them to sit in a desk when they have so much energy. I see the opportunity in the education space. You've been um, both an educator and to some extent an entertainer with the, the, the album and, and, and that. Are there, are there initiatives or things that you're doing that are taking the science into the entertainment space or the science entertainment space as well? Are you looking at those kinds of things? I don't see a division between art and science, technology and emotion. Everything I do starts with an emotional approach. A collaboration I did in the haute couture fashion was with Hermenegild Zegna. They were looking for a unique voyage in the universe. So we started from the very edge of the universe and we flew back celestial object to arrive on Earth. In this flyby, we were able to see the object and to listen to the object that I mentioned to you, a black hole, a quasar, my galaxy, UGC 6697, pulsar, the sun, earth magnetosphere, and then in this 4K resolution video, which was projected during the live catwalk of this male model, we arrive on Earth and on the Palazzo Scintille in Milano, on this big place, we had the cameras up on the ceiling. So what happened is that we are traveling through space, listening to the music, exploring objects, and then suddenly you look up and you say, but that's me projected within this cosmic background, which is our back So uh, we took the audience by surprise because they became one with the universe and then sure enough it goes the catwalk. So now you have this model walking on the temple of pulsars. It was one of the most uh, um, intriguing collaborations I ever did. The New York Times called it Zegna very first big bang. (laughs) And we went on to Harrods in London. We took over 23 storefront at Harrods with the planet Earth and the shoes, the galaxy and the purse, and the pair of pants and the jacket on the contest of a black hole. And we went a little bit farther because as a pedestrian, we're walking in front of the window at Harrods and they were leaning in. They didn't know they were triggering sound of space. So there were a multitude, a crowd, because they were playing by getting closer like to the... a theremin kind of was a kind of theremin, an invisible theremin. An electric field, exactly photovoltaic, and they were triggering sound of space, the black hole, my galaxy, the sun, the quasar. It was uh, um, very interactive and uh, very avant-garde. But we are going back uh, again to the concept that, you know, science by itself... um, 
is a little bit too dry, is a little bit too complex, is a little bit too boring and not that much 2019 anymore when we are talking about a young mind, when we are talking about education. We are dealing with a young brain that we need to keep in the STEM, in the science, technology, engineering, mathematics discipline. We need those brains. We are losing them at a very, very high, fast pace. So what I created is what I call emotional learning. It's like learning songs when you were a child and you're going to remember those songs forever. The emotional learning I try to deliver and every time I do it, like with California State University Channel Islands or Florida International University, every single time I'm able to refine a new formula. For the moment, building a musical, a space opera, the Tommy of astrophysics is what my students are asking for. What's the next big bang in Fiorello Terenzi's work? We are looking into virtual reality in terms of astronomy, the expanding astronomy physics to the five senses. And the program I'm creating, it's, um, it's very basic, you know, using even a Google Cardboard or a very simple device. Experience a virtual reality tour in the solar system where you can listen to the object visualize the object and then once you're done with your virtual reality experience while you're smelling Mars that smells like gunpowder while you're smelling wait, wait, wait. Uh, before we go so Mars smells like gunpowder yes. is that because of the iron yes in the soil? correct is the iron oxide exactly yeah, it makes it red also. Uh, exactly what makes it red it's yes. also what makes our blood red yes so that because of that it makes it smell like gunpowder which yes I didn't realize that gunpowder has that. Burned oxidation, charcoal. and that's the, the, the perfume of Mars. Interesting. Now, the story changes, though. If you go to Neptune... Uh, it's made out of gas. Uh, that's is it methane? Uh, that's methane. It's a different smell. Yeah. I tried to spray methane perfume in the classroom. It didn't go well. It didn't go well. <laughs> no. Uh, meth- but, but methane isn't... I mean, I thought that methane was like a, it's like a rotten egg. So. Yes, it's a little bit of rotten egg. So. Right. And, and kind so of perfume. We, just, perfume's probably yes, a very generous exactly, term. Because we don't want to use any other, but... Uh, so, so it's a giant uh, stink bomb, is what you're it's saying? It's a giant stink bomb, absolutely. Most of the gas planet. Yeah. Maybe Jupiter is a little bit lighter uh, in terms of... a lot of hydrogen. But, yeah, hydrogen and helium, like Saturn, yeah. but when you go to Uranus and Neptune, oh my goodness. So you're working on a five senses, the five beyond senses. VR or a more inclusive notion of what VR could be. Correct. Like. Yes, yes. And where is where is that project stand right now? Who are uh, you doing that uh, with and where, where would we see that? I'm uh, developing uh, an app for visual reality with the creator of a distant sun. This app will incorporate uh, the curriculum uh, that we deliver in astronomy, solar system, stars, galaxy, up to cosmology. And this um, virtual reality app will uh, teach astronomy and we will integrate also the five senses, uh, such as you know the perfume of the planet, uh, 
and hopefully soon also a menu. I'm working on creating some ice cream with some Saturnian flavor to it, and we need to be, to have well, the right. Sarah wasn't necessarily a good one because he was a god of, of hell, right? I mean, that's he, true. It was Hades in Greece and Saturn in Roman mythology. Okay, I mean, we are gonna change the name I'm to a moon saying, of I mean, Saturn. I want to have some hell ice cream. It's probably just from a marketing standpoint a little challenging. I'm just throwing that out there. It so. is a marketing challenge, but you know, you never know. Maybe the flavor comes out to be really stellar. Maybe so. I'm just thinking uh, the Venus ice cream probably much more inviting. Oh no, Venus will be awful. Venus will be toxic ice cream. I will not feed it to you. But you know, you you can find some element, some variation. It's challenging, but you know, we are on the way for a... a It's like a chloride gas is in the atmosphere of Venus, is that right? Yeah, it's a huge uh, greenhouse effect. Yeah, 800 degrees uh, Fahrenheit there. Very very toasty. But you were referring to sulfuric acid. Sulfuric acid. Yeah, that's, you don't want to taste it. You don't want to get get closer. Bad your taste buds. Yes. <laughs> yeah, this, it's, it's amazing how good this planet has been to our species and That's how bad true. all the other planets in this solar system are to any species, as best we can tell, other than perhaps some minor suggestion of life on Mars and perhaps some moons, right? We've got some, I guess there was some stuff I just saw recently about Pluto has a moon mm-hmm. that somehow Shadow. that might have, um, and it's technically mm-hmm. no longer a planet, but... Uh, it's a pluton, yeah. Yeah, right? it's a- but it's supposedly one of their plants might have both water and the potential building. I- so you're, you're building, a, and it would be five senses. Now, is that going to have a rock opera in it too, or a, I guess a space rock opera? It will, uh, in the very end, be incorporated in the musical, in the uh, let's get astrophysical, the mamma mia of astrophysics. Uh, we are always a way to to. I mean, uh, not not because I want, because my students are pushing the envelope. They are now charting augmented reality to incorporate in the show. So it's really bringing technology together with astronomy and the art and performance art. It's really a rapid learning curve. Again, most of my contribution comes from students expressing the desire to seek out some interest, some hobby. Even in business, they come up with a business plan about space being profitable, ideas they have, and we try to incorporate in our show. Well, I mean, absolutely. That's a really interesting issue. We have all these private companies doing space exploration programs, whether it's a space, a SpaceX or uh, Jeff Bezos's operation or what Paul Allen was trying to do. So the Japanese trying to land on the moon and they, I guess, didn't work out for their for their lander, but they're, they're still trying and, and certainly other countries have ambitions. So what we do with that is both a, mm-hmm. a big question from an international law standpoint mm-hmm. or even beyond international to interstellar law, but also for business opportunities, right? Correct. And think about uh, um, having in the classroom uh, a student that has the creativity of a Jeff Bezos or an Elon Musk. Uh, I It breaks my heart to turn off their creativity, to turn off their desire to dream, but that's what happened. Maybe that's the reason why Elon Musk dropped out from college. It really is important to dance in the body we have or to reach out with your idea to a professor that can listen to you. 
I am there for my student and I don't want to remove from my student anything they bring to class. I want to emphasize that because we need those brain, we need creativity in the science because like you said, you know, it really is about entrepreneurship, is about startup, is about innovation besides also education and the standard curriculum. Unlocking creativity both in the business side and on the the humanities side and perhaps finding some way to connect all of those. I guess that's your your great mission these days. It is a humanity side too. Again, uh, we, we learn also internet ethic while you're taking astronomy and physics. It's really forging, uh, like you said, uh, a new human being because in the very end, I really believe education leads us to enlightenment. And uh, that's what we need in society. We need the scientists that are able to really and deeply engage every single one, from radio to TV, because science is at the foundation of life. And the science will lead the society to enlightenment. Uh, we just need to engage and not turn off young brain, young women in the science, in the STEM field. So that was great stuff. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you like projects like this, please rate, review, and share the podcast wherever you may be listening. That helps with the magic algorithm box so other people can discover the show and advertisers can think that, oh, we should maybe sponsor this thing. If you really like the show, Anchor.fm, where my show is based, makes it easy to become a supporter and kick in a couple of bucks toward keeping it going. I greatly appreciate that. And as well, Anchor has just launched a function that makes it possible to send me a voice message from wherever you may be listening if you have any thoughts, comments, ideas, etc., etc. that you'd like to share. My college buddy Jeff, now editor of his hometown paper back in Missouri, took advantage of that capability to send me a wonderful message a few days ago. Thanks, Jeff, for that. It's great to hear your voice. Anyway, that's our show for this episode. I'm David Bloom for Bloom and Tech. Thanks again to Dr. Fiorella Terenzi of Florida International University and Cal State Channel Islands for her time and wide-ranging conversation. Take care, everybody. Over and out. You've been listening to Bloom in Tech. I am your host, David Bloom. Thanks so much. And our podcast has been sponsored in this episode by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Take care, everyone.